As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. Hey, you're listening to me, Matt Tebby, and I'm joined by my friend Ben Sternke. Hey, you guys. And a special guest today, Christy Penley. Hey there. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, Christy is a friend of ours. She's been um, a part of Gravity Stuff for a long time, leading cohorts. She's been in a couple of my cohorts. She's led, I don't know, a dozen probably cohorts. Uh, Christy, introduce yourself because you're going to help us co-host this episode. Um, Who are you and what do you do? Yeah. Uh, well, my name's Christy. I'm in Colorado Springs. It's where I live. I'm a family kid pastor here. And I have five children, happily married for 17 years. Mm. And we have a puppy well dog. And if you didn't find me like driving around to my kids, like soccer practice or something like that, you might find me chalk painting. That's like my favorite new thing. What? I like to chalk paint like what pieces is of furniture. What do, what do you paint on? Like yeah. on the sidewalk? Like like a table. Like I'll find like a free table on the side of the road and then I'll chalk paint it. And then my <laughs> husband's like, we got to get rid of all this furniture. There's so much in my house. <laughs> now, now, d- d- now is, you, you guys don't know Christy, but and I know Christy a little bit. Matt, you know Christy quite well. Yeah. But like I know Christy a little bit, um, but I know enough to know that that is a quintessential Christy thing. To be to be like, yeah. Sometimes I'll find a table at the side of the road and I'll just chalk paint it. Like it's just, <laughs> like it's just sort of like, oh yeah, of course, of course, Christy does that. This is uh, Christy's. Christy, Christy, we've been friends for about fifteen years, um, and uh, Christ, Christy's an amazing person. She's um, somebody who trained for a half marathon, six months pregnant, 
she, you know, she chalk paints tables she finds on the side of the road. Uh, sometimes she just adopts kids on a whim. Like she's yeah, uh, you're an incredible good. person, and yes. you're going to help us co-host this and other some other podcasts. Today we're talking to Jared Bias about his book Love Matters More, and uh, Christy was silent for about thirty minutes and then jumped in. Just quick story, like. I was like, hey, Christy, would you like to help us co-host some Gravity Leadership podcasts? And she's like, I don't know if I'd be any good at it. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure you'd be great at it. She's like, well, can I just listen? I was like, yeah, sure. You can just kind of come on and listen and see if it's something you want to do. She's like, okay. So then anyway, you start this podcast and I can just tell, Christy, your face, like through the podcast, you're like, all these questions are like punching the back of your teeth, you know? Like you gotta get them I tried out. To stay, I really did try to stay silent for like a good thirty minutes, you did and a great I was job. successful. And then I couldn't <laughs> yeah. help myself. I piped in, yeah. and then it messed you up. And so now we're telling you. No, I don't know. it didn't mess us up. I j- we didn't set it up quite well enough yeah. to know. Like there was, there was no expectation on anybody's part in the interview, like as to whether you were just going to listen <laughs> or you were gonna jump in or like what the uh, what the protocol was. And so like anyway. Uh, so anyway, so that, sometimes that's well. Sometimes our Thank lack you. of professionalism is charming, <laughs> and sometimes it's yeah. us being doofuses. It's just awkward. It's yeah. just awkward. Well, Jer- the but, conversation with Jared is awesome, and thank you yeah. for letting me be a part of it. Yeah, well, yeah. it's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and listen, listen for Christie's contribution towards the end of the great. podcast because really it was great. It was it was wonderful. <laughs> uh, it just sort of felt like, oh, quick, let's introduce Christie. So, so real quick, anyway. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna double click on the awkwardness. Okay, here we go. Uh, imagine being Jared, <laughs> which I didn't set this up well for Jared. Jared yeah, mentions totally. Christie like a you know 15 minutes in the podcast because he sees two dudes uh-huh. dominating a conversation and this this I woman know. sitting there being quiet Terrible. and so jared's probably like you guys are just some misogynistic you know j-holes <laughs> like why don't you let the lady speak a bit yeah. so he's like oh, i'm yeah. gonna name christy maybe sh- maybe these guys will shut up and let her talk and i'm thinking oh man i didn't tell jared that she was just gonna watch and then oh geez to, we don't know that that's what Jared was thinking. But I'm telling you what he's it, thinking. I can read his mind. I'm projecting my own insecurities onto Jared. <laughs> yes. Yes. No. To be clear, that's what's happening. No. Uh, <laughs> just joking. No. Anyway, it, it was it was a good interview. Um, and Christy, it's great to it was great to have you on this uh, interview, yeah. and it's great to have you. Um, join us for this podcast. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for again for having me, guys. Yep. Yeah. Well. Uh, we don't have any announcements, do we, Ben? No, I don't think so. I'd like to announce, please listen to Jared Bias talk about yes. love. Yeah, this is good stuff. This lines up really well with uh, our training, uh, obviously, Gravity Gravity Leadership Academy. Yep. He's kind of rooted in this to say, like, what, is, what would it mean for us to take love seriously as leaders? What would it mean to take uh, love seriously as disciples of Jesus? Um, and how does that get beyond the sentimental uh, notions that we oftentimes have of it and get into the nitty gritty? So Jared, Jared's book is a great help yep. in that regard. All right. All right, here it. it is. Jared Bias, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, Jared is a podcaster himself. He co-hosts a podcast with Pete Enns called "The Bible for Normal People," uh, and I'm, great I'm a normal, title, by the way. Yeah, it's great. I 
I, as a normal person, I've benefited uh, greatly from that. Uh, Jared also lives in Philly. I think you still own your own company because you're sort of a marketer extraordinaire. What, what do you do with your time when you're not reining Pete ends in? <laughs> well, is there time left over after that? <laughs> I know it's a full-time job. Uh, no. So, yeah, yeah. Actually, I primarily now have shifted. I work um, almost exclusively in my, my day job, so to speak, with family-owned companies. So really at the mm. intersection of communication, relationships, but also still having to perform and and have, you know, good, strong leadership and lead companies and, and all of that. So that's that's what I spend my days doing yeah. is helping navigate. Sometimes it's very strategic and, and process oriented and sometimes it's very relational. And what's the company has the word blue in it, right? Is it no. blue something? Mm-mm. No. No, no. We used to, I used to have the blue yarn with a the few blue other yarn. folks. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, 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 yeah. That would have been I don't know six or seven years ago. We go way back, Matt. Jared, um, I've been in this Corona tide now, and I feel like time is collapsing. I feel like I'm in a Christopher Nolan movie. That's what's happening to me. <laughs> well, there's worse things to be in, right? I think. Right. Okay, yeah. so it's, what, what's the company called? It's the Delaware Valley Family Business Center. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, is well, we can put a link maybe in the it show notes like to a, that. It sounds like the name of an indie band. Doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, and they what have are you listening to Ben. <laughs> they have like three people that are show up, you've, and then thirteen other never, people. Yeah, just you've never like, heard of them. You've never heard of them. <laughs> uh, hey, Jared, uh, you've written this book, uh, "Love Matters More: Why uh, How Fighting to Be Right Helps Us from Loving Like Jesus," um, and it's an incredible book. I was telling you before we hit record that it's kind of part and parcel of what we do at Gravity. It's taking love and reclaiming it as central, necessary, vital ground for the Christian life, and not just for relationships, but how do we think? How do we interpret Scripture? Um, and so I want to di- dive into that, but I wonder, um, you didn't always think that love mattered more, <laughs> and you tell the story in your book by, and I, th- I thought it was really cool, by naming your four kids and describing your journey uh, with the names of your four kids. Would you do that for us, just to give us a little context and background about you? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, it's funny how it worked out that way. It wasn't that intentional, but it, it, you know, our naming our kids tends to kind of flow with what's important to us. And so our oldest is Augustine. And that was at a time, you know, I would have grown up with a more intellectual, actually, as a younger, when I was really young, um, my, my family, my mom's side of the family is very charismatic. But then I would have kind of gone on my own journey and, and been gravitated toward Presbyterianism, kind of a more intellectual way of expressing faith. And uh, and so Augustine is our oldest, which really represented that time of, you know, when I held Augustine up as a hero um, mm-hmm. of the faith. And then, you know, moving toward uh, our second, which is uh, Tov is his name, T-O-V. And in, in Hebrew, that's what God calls creation, that it's good. And that was a real shift. You can't get much maybe opposed, at least how popular people think of Augustine and Tov as being opposites because uh, St. Augustine is known for kind of uh, original sin and Mm. kind of thinking that we're originally bad. And that was a big shift in our faith to thinking that creation and people are actually fundamentally good um, and image bearers. And and how do we, that changed us a lot in how we thought about God and how we thought about each other and humanity. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Aletheia is our, is our girl and uh, that's a combination. And, you know, John eight thirty two, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, which I talk about quite a bit in the book. Um, and aletheia is a combination of the Greek words there for truth, aletheia, and freedom, eleutheria. Mm. Mm. 
And that was us really wrestling with this balance of truth and freedom. We kind of came to this decision point of, of which way are we going to lean toward this love, to love and freedom or toward rightness and truth. And it did feel like an either or at the time. And, and so that was a challenging time for us to kind of make that decision and move forward in a certain way. And then uh, our youngest came along uh, a few years later, and his name is Exodus. And for us, it was it was this declaration, proclamation that we're no longer searching for the answers, but finding life in the desert, that it's about the journey. And we, you know, it's really about, uh, Brueggemann makes this point about um, make, making sure we escape the oppression of Egypt, not just to find the destination of becoming the oppressor in Jerusalem and how we can live life there in the desert um, hmm. between oppressions. So, yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful, man. And and kid number five, you have a name picked out for kid number five? <laughs> yeah. He's called uh, Not Gonna Happen. <laughs> Surprise. Just name him Surprise if he comes. Um, so, yeah, so maybe to dive in a bit to your book and maybe to go back to your third child's name, why do, why do you think most Christians feel like they have to choose between love and truth? You know, that's interesting. I think it's because of human nature. I, I found a lot of us are conflict avoidant. And so there are things that are genuinely helpful for us to say to one another, but are genuinely hard to hear. And we we feel like we're risking a relationship to say some of these hard things. If It's easy to maintain a strong friendship when we agree on everything and all of your life's choices are approved by me. But it's much harder to go to someone and say, hey, I think what you're doing isn't good for you and it's not good for me. And that, I think, is where the rub comes in is when we have to say those difficult things it does feel like we're risking the relationship. So we're risking love in order to tell the truth. And I think there's something something very right about that. I think that's true. Yeah. Ben, has that ever happened yeah. for you? Uh, no, I agree with everybody I'm in a relationship with. So I don't know. This is purely theoretical, purely theoretical conversation. No, I, I, I like what you're saying, uh, Jared. I, no, I, I definitely feel that. I feel, like I, I feel like I feel that a lot as a leader um, where I, I have this... Uh, desire just not to make anybody mad, you know, like make anybody upset. Like I don't want to, um, but that, uh, and, and, and in some ways, like you said, we are risking the relationship when we, when we, when we want to bring the truth about ourselves or the truth about what we're seeing or something like that. We are risking the relationship in a way, uh, because relationship is always two way and who knows how they're going to respond. Um, but love, love demands uh, that I do it actually. You know, I, I think that's, that's part of, I, that's part of what I hear you saying there is like, I am risking the relationship, but actually, um, ironically, that's part of love is risking relationship hmm. by telling the truth, you know, instead of by covering it, trying to maintain the relationship. Does that make sense? Is that kind of what you're... Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think... You know, the question is, how do we determine if what you're saying really is loving or not? And I think yes, that's yes. that's the trick. Yeah. yeah. Who gets to decide that? Yep. Well, yep. I'll answer. Because there are, I, there are some it. people. <laughs> yes. If I'm speaking. Thank you. People. Thank you, well, Matt. I think Jared decided. He oh, wrote the man. book. So he knows. <laughs> oh, that's right. He put the stake <laughs> yeah. in the ground. No, no, I don't want that, Matt. No, you're, no, no. Well, you're welcome to take that role. <laughs> no, uh, no, that's, that is a great question because there are other times where I've felt like, man, it would sure feel great to tell this person off and then I can just chalk it up to love, you know, um, like, yeah. 
you know what? I'm just speaking the truth in love, brother. Exactly. Like that, that kind of thing. When actually it's like, yeah, I don't know. I'm not, <laughs> you know, was it loving? Who gets to decide that? Yeah. So. Well, this is something, Jared, you talk about in your book. Like one of the questions maybe we could ask is that those who are on the receiving end of truth being spoken in love is do they experience love? Right? right. And you, you sort of deconstruct this speaking the truth in love kind of phrase in your book. Could you unpack that for us a bit? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I do it a bit provocatively to say, okay, if when Paul says speaking the truth in love, I flip that around to say, then if you're not in love with the person, then you're not speaking the truth, regardless of what comes out of your mouth. Mm. And, and that, it, you know, it's a provocative way of saying, listen, we all have to earn the right. Love is not just opinions being thrown back and forth to one another. We have to earn the right to make that what I would call like an, um, an emotional withdrawal, mm. right? So have we put in the deposits? And that's really physical and that's relational. And that's, that's putting in the work to say, listen, you can trust that I really am saying this because like, why would I risk, why would I have spent all these dozens of hours supporting you and being there for you emotionally and physically and just geographically and then risk it by kind of flying off the handle and saying something completely out from left field. Like we can trust, you can trust me because of this experience. And I think that's an important part of having that person feel like what I'm saying is loving. And if, yeah. if, if we haven't put in that work, it's likely they're not going to experience it as love and, and rightly so. Yeah. You talk later in your book about um, this radical acceptance, like this embracing of another person, regardless mm. of difference mm. or disagreement. And we talk about that at Gravity as love is made up of truth and grace. So grace is this radical acceptance, and truth is this holding forth a vision or holding forth something that's that's real. Um, and we talk about how Jesus had both. So like you you can't you can't have one or the other, and it be love. You need both turned up to eleven. Yeah, that's a good way of saying it. Yeah. So so let me let me throw this scenario at you, and you can tell me um, how your book can help me, Jared, all right? I, this past Saturday, I was at a youth soccer game, and uh, we have probably the best player in the league, 12-year-olds. These are all 12-year-olds. Best player in the league is on our team. He's, like, ridiculously fast. Um, he's not even a great soccer player. He's just so fast and quick that he he smokes almost everybody on the field. <laughs> well, there was a defender that was trying to stop him the whole game, and uh, he, he got the best of him a few times, but he got beat for two goals. And his dad, the defender's dad, was sitting, I don't know, 20 feet away from me, really close to the defender. And the dad was just merciless towards his son. Yeah. Towards, in the second, I mean, it just uh, critiquing him anytime he got beat, um, just pointing yeah. it out. And, and it came to a head for me. Um, and, and in the second half, um, he got beat by our player that's really good. And the dad stood up after the goal was scored. And he, he points at his son, and he goes, that's on you. That's on you. Wow. And there's something inside of me in that moment where I'm like, I don't know if you guys can relate to this. Part of me wants just to crawl away and not be around kind of a violent, angry man who's doing that to his son. Part, right? I don't want to be close yeah. to that. Mm. Part of me wants to like get in his face and let him have it. And then part of me wants to just go hold his 12-year-old just like give him a hug. Like I feel like th that's the scenario we find ourselves in, Jared, as we as we improvise in life where mm. we want to love yeah. but it's so hard to discern 
what does love live like here? What do I do here? So uh, maybe, Jared, since you're the expert in love, uh, what, what, should I, what should I have done? How, how do we discern those situations? Yeah, I think that's. I think the word that you used is the right word, discerning. And I'm glad that you picked such a messy, complicated situation because mm. I think the answer, the 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 devil's in the details. And I think it matters how aware we are of our surroundings and where we are, what emotional place we're in, and any of those variables change. And I think the right thing to do changes. Mm. You know, there's not a singular right thing to do because. When we're talking about love, we're talking about relationships, we're talking about other human beings, and it gets it gets really messy. So I think there's many things that could have been the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you're describing wisdom there, which you talk right. about in your book. So what so then maybe run that out. I think you talk a lot you kind of critique some of the the um the cul-de-sacs we get stuck in as Christians, uh certitude and certainty and just knowledge. Uh, with without love, so knowledge without love, or knowledge without uh, any experiential sort of uh, veracity to it. Can you describe what is wisdom, and how is wisdom important for love in situations like I just named? Well, I think it's for me, wisdom is this marrying of well, in the in the context of the book, and I think it gets bigger and broader, and maybe that's why we have things like podcasts so we can dive more deeply into it. But you know, I lay out in the book these three ways that we use the word truth. And I think that's helpful because we have a big word that we put a lot of baggage into. And and we can be ships passing in the night when we say, for instance, a common example would be something like, hey, is is the book of Jonah true? Okay, like, let's unpack all the different ways we could use the word true there. And I might mean one thing, you might mean another thing. So I, I lay it out in terms of facts, meaning, and wisdom. So the, we could use the word true and what we could be saying is, is it fact? Is it some historically accurate thing? Is it meaningful? Is it resonating with the truth of the human experience? And am I living truthfully? Am I living out the message in my life, which is wisdom? Mm. Um, and so that's kind of, I think, building that framework for what wisdom is. It's that it's the thinking of facts and meaning as a toolbox. And we gather in our experiences over our life all these tools. And wisdom is in this particular situation, do I know which tool to use and how to use it well? And that's that's what this situation would call for. Can I, in that, in that split moment, can I recall all of my experiences? Can I think about them? Can I think about how all those things turned out? And then can I act in a way that I find is loving in this mm-hmm. moment? Yeah. And in, in your situation, you know, I think of a few people in my life who are some of the most courageous and I would say dumb people in, in my life at the moment. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so cringeworthy what you're doing. And and the right thing for them, often in those situations, they would probably, at the end of that game, they would do exactly a few of what you just said. They would have gone up to the 12-year-old and say, hey, man, that guy is tough. He's one of our best players. Um, you you really did did as best as I could see anyone doing. You know, did a great job. And then turn around to the dad and say, hey, you know, he did a really good job. I hope you can see that. Um, you know, I hope, I, hope that, I hope that at some point you can, you can affirm your son and, and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And, and just leave it at that. Um, that makes me cringe just thinking about it. But I think <laughs> in a lot of ways that may be the loving thing to do. Yeah. Um, but again, I think it depends on all yeah. the little, it's all the little things. Yeah, I mean, it, it um, th- that paradigm shift about how we think about truth. Um, th- the example that comes to mind for me 
uh, Jared, is um, I remember it fe- feeling like a really a big paradigm shift for me to realize that the truth is not always a negative thing that I'm noticing. Like, the, and it, it just expanded my ability to like, f- specifically with my kids. Like, yeah, I, I, I you know, I tend to be a, than you, Ben. I affirm this. <laughs> thank you. Uh, but like, I, you know, my specifically with my kids, you know, I have this tendency to kind of be the person. Like, I'm the dad who assumes. Oh, the the gift I can give you is to correct you. You know, the gift I can give you is to show you what you're doing wrong. You know, and it sort of baffled me for a little while as to why uh, my kids and nobody else uh, in my life seemed to appreciate that from me. Um, because it seemed like the only thing I could see that was true, right? Um, but it, it expanded my vision to say, you know what? There's a lot more about my kid that's true than this specific thing that they, that they did wrong. And so how do I learn how to speak that truth uh, constantly more to them? You know, here's what I notice about you that I think is amazing. Here's, you know, here's some, you know, how do I affirm, you know, kind of them uh, on an ongoing basis so that when it is time to correct, which is part of parenting, right? When it is time to correct, there is, there, I've, I've kind of made the deposits, as you said earlier, that where I can, but it, like seeing all of those things as speaking truth was like really freeing for me. It's like, this is the truth too. Like the, the truth about who you are is, you know, just as important as the truth about what you did wrong. Maybe more important for you to hear, actually. I think it's a great insight. I think that's exactly right. The, yeah, we because because it's we, we're enculturated to think telling the truth in love automatically means something critical is about to come up. Yes, yes that's right. Yeah. Yes, we're, isn't that isn't that psychotic? Well, yeah. it's fascinating, but I also want to judge it, so I'm going to say it's psychotic. <laughs> you know, it's like the, the courage needed to correct this, collect this dad. For instance, I'm, I noticed Jared. I think you're right on, man. Uh, you too, Ben. But Jared, Jared's really smart. Um, he, well, he like, wrote the book. Uh, he did. He wrote I haven't the book. written a book on love. So. But there's this sense in which w- it never occurs to us to like positively name and hold forth the truth about somebody's being to them. This is we we call this gospeling in at Gravity, we, and we're training people to gospel to to be good news mm-hmm. uh, proclaimers in conversation even. Um, but I think I think this is an artifact of some of the ways that we get truth wrong. And I, I want to return maybe to your threefold schema of facts, meaning, and wisdom. Because, uh, you know, I became a Christian in college, and truth was facts, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, they were, it was evidence that demanded a verdict. And, and I've got it right here. I, I wonder, you, you talk about the difference between, how do you say it, believing in the resurrection of Jesus— and trusting in the resurrection of Jesus in your book. And I think the way I, could you unpack that a bit and how one of those tends towards to fall into the ditch of just facts and certainty and the other maybe integrates wisdom and meaning as well? Yeah, well, underneath this whole book is my belief that we have, as Christians, we have bought into Enlightenment era modern thinking, which privileges our intellect above other ways of being in the world. So I think that's really important. So when we talk about believing in the resurrection, the, the, the Bible itself never uses the word belief in this way that post-enlightenment we almost have no choice but to because we're swimming in a culture where believing something means I can think about it abstractly in my head, I can check it off the list and say, yes, I affirm that, that happened, and that's it. Yeah. But in the Bible, the word to believe is to have 
put trust in. It's it's existential. It is a again, it's a relational category, not an abstraction. And I think that's really important. So the question mm. isn't am I able to abstractly check this off of a list of beliefs I need to believe in order to belong to this club? And it becomes what evidence is there in my life that I'm actually trusting that this is a reality for me? <laughs> and so it's more of uh, less of a private affair. I often think of when someone asks me what I believe, my first response is, I have no idea. It changes every day. <laughs> if you really want to know what I believe, ask my family, ask my friends, or go around with a video camera all day. You'll be able to tell me better what I believe. Yeah. Because the line between what I wish I believe and what I actually believe is non-existent if what we're talking about is just this ascent to things in my head. Yeah, totally. Totally. I, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, one of my best friends in the world uh, went to seminary with me and went through a big faith crisis in seminary. And I remember having this uh, come to Jesus moment with him where we were chatting about, you know, what do you believe? And he said, you know what, Matt, most Christians believe in in the historical reality, the resurrection, but they struggle to live it out. He said, uh, I'm committed to living out the reality of the resurrection, but I'm probably always going to struggle with whether or not it happened. And um, at the time when he said that to me, I was like, what are you talking about? How can you possibly not have this like bedrock, you know, epistemological sort of fact of the resurrection. But now I like there's some wisdom in what he's saying. Like he he's you know, he's giving his life over to something that he doesn't have certainty actually actually happened, but he's training his body and his mind and his heart to trust that it did. Yeah. And this seems radical to us, right? This seems mm-hmm. crazy, but I think what you're describing is maybe maybe Scripture has uh, more permission or more freedom to explore that than maybe our modern heritage, yeah? Yeah, well, I think we, the only reason it seems radical is because we bought into the idea that we can have certainty about anything, and I think that's a fallacy. Mm-hmm. So yeah. once we come to that place, then everything's just a matter of trusting more or less. It becomes a matter of probability, not certainty. Yeah. Jared, I wonder if you can say more about that. I, I, I can imagine maybe some of our listeners struggling with, with that, um, the way that you phrase that. Like, what, what do you mean we can't have? Why is it a fallacy to think that we can have certainty? Can you dive into that a little bit more? Uh, yeah. Well, none of us are God. So that means we all have a limited <laughs> perspective. I can't, yeah. I wish, yeah. as much as I wish I could see the world as Christy sees the world as a, as a female, as, you know, my other friends who are African-American or who you know, people that grew up in the 1800s, or I can only ever experience the world in my body at this place and time. Mm. And that necessarily leaves out so much of reality. And so I have to be humble. And that's why I started the whole book with this idea of absolute certainty, I think has become an idol for Christians that keeps us from recognizing the humility we need to pursue truth, not with a capital T, but with trust. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission and open up space for those around you to do so too. 
We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com academy. This is, this is the, the illusion of objective perception that just kills us. Uh, we talk about it as like, um, I, I was in conversation with somebody um, last night on Marco Polo. You ever use Marco Polo? Yeah. Video oh, yeah. App? I love it. Anyway, um, and we were talking about this New Testament um, scholar. Actually, he's a systematician who um, we were talking about some of the, the blind blind spots that this person had. And one of them is what we were describing is he's unable to see that he's using frames and that other people have different frames. And he he can't acknowledge his subjective perception ever. And it's like it 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 make it leads him to these um almost mind boggling conclusions that most people just say, Well this can't that can't be true. But uh but he's unable to see it. And I think this is like I don't know, we could get really philosophical here, but I think this is part of maybe the fear that Christians are taught, right? If you abandon absolute truth, right? If you let the boogeyman of postmodernity in the door, you know, sooner or later you're going to be living in a hippie commune and having six wives and doing the dope, you know? Like, so there's this fear attached to that. So maybe help. Mm-hmm. Help those of us maybe who have latent fear in our bodies about this. Why is this not scary to acknowledge this? And, and what is, what's waiting for us as we walk through that? Well, I, the only thing I would say is I think it is scary to acknowledge it. So I, don't, I wouldn't say it's not scary to acknowledge it. To, okay, to, yeah. to have a framework your, most of your life where you feel like you're on this sure foundation of certainty and then to have that stripped away is absolutely a scary thing. The real challenge for me is, but was it ever true in the first place? And that's the, the if we really want to pursue truth, um, and that's the irony, right? I think yeah. our belief in absolute certainty is, say, keeps us from pursuing truth. And so that that's, I think, the first thing is, is recognizing, I'm big about recognizing our emotions and accepting them for what they are. That is a scary thing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And we should be okay with that. Mm-hmm. I think what it does for me is it, I, I get sad about the, I'm, this is a crass way of saying it. I get sad about the marketing strategies of Christianity, because what it did was, we we scared people into towing the line, and then they stepped out of the line a little bit and realized that their whole world didn't crumble, but it actually felt pretty good and it felt freeing, <laughs> and then they feel betrayed. And now oh, yeah. they have a really unhealthy and critical view of the church and the leadership that taught them, hey, this is the truth of the matter. And then it feels like this leadership was just trying to control them. Yeah. And I think they, it's, it shoots them in the foot. Um, and it has the opposite effect of what they are intending. And we see this, impl- the implications of this now with all of these people using, you know, they're deconstructing. I don't particularly like that phrase, but deconstructing their faith. A lot of it, I don't, I don't know of many people who are deconstructing their faith because they finally read the New Testament again and said, yeah, you know what, that Jesus guy, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think I believe any of that stuff what anymore. What a loser. I know. Like, <laughs> love your enemies? Oh, that is just garbage. I don't know of anyone that does that. What they no. do is they say, oh my gosh, 
I'm reading Jesus again for the first time and realizing that the culture in which I was brought up isn't representing that Jesus. Yes. Yes. Yeah, man. And maybe this is a way then to pivot into so what? Like, um, we're, we're not we're not just wanting to get right about a new thing. Now we're right about love, right? And that love matters more. And now I'm certain that love matters more. And I've just replaced <laughs> one modern prison for another. Of course. But rather, you're describing in your book, it's not just um, a behavioral change, but there's actually like an operating system revamp. And it, it touches on a couple things that you describe in your book, and I won't spoil it for people because I want them to get it, but one is how do we interpret Scripture? And you talk a little bit in your book about the difference between maybe kind of the modern uh, hermeneutical things that we all learn, like, you know, inductive, that kind of thing, and then how how Jewish scholars and uh, the Jewish tradition interpret Scripture and how Jesus kind of functions within that. Could you just tease us with that a bit? Because I think, I think that uh, unlocks a bit of why this matters so much to us. Yeah, I mean, it, for me, it really comes to understanding that, and, and it really comes back to meaning. When we use the word, what does this mean? We're necessarily in a relationship. Meaning by, in, in itself, when we say, what does it mean? We're, we're actually talking about two sides of that coin. We're talking about what did it mean and what does it mean to me? And that's important because if, if, we doesn't, if we don't connect on one of those two levels, we don't have communication. The, the Bible can't speak to us unless it had something to say originally and it has something to say to me or to us. And, and that's where, again, it gets messy, which is why I think we don't like it that much. Um, and so, you know, for me growing up, it was so interesting because we just never made it explicit. So we did all this Bible study of what did it mean back then? What was the authorial intent? And then in sermons, we applied it to us, but we never figured out, like, why do we do that? How, is that an appropriate way to do that? Hmm. And so what it ended up being is, in my mind, I find it disrespectful to the Bible, say disrespectful to Paul, when I try to make Paul mean what I want him to mean. And we see this change throughout you know, modern culture. And to be honest, this is one of my challenges with with my progressive friends who I think are constantly embarrassed by what maybe Paul had to say. And so they're trying to make Paul say something that Paul never meant to say because they can't make the jump that I think we should make, which is let Paul be Paul. Let's respect Paul. But Jesus said, hey, whenever I go, I'm going to give you the spirit of truth who's going to, or the spirit who's going to guide you into all truth. Mm-hmm. If we already have all the truth in the Bible, what's the spirit going to guide us into? The canon, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, that's the answer I was required right, to give. But yeah, right. So I think there is this two sides to say that there's a spirit of God. Do we trust that the spirit of God is teaching us new things? And are we comfortable enough saying that doesn't mean the old things are wrong or are bad, but there are new things because we are in new we're in new territory. And Jesus, I think, does this really well in the Sermon on the Mount. And that would have been a very, again, Jesus is not doing anything radical. When he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you, he's not negating the law. The Jews of his day wouldn't say like, oh my gosh, who is this guy? What? Yeah. He's overturning everything. And how, how, why is he doing all that? No, they would have said, yep, this is how rabbis work. You have heard it said, but I say to you, you heard it this way. You know, if you read uh, Jewish literature at the time, you'll have a lot of rabbi so-and-so said this was the true meaning of the text. But I say, this is the true meaning of the text. 
And they're not saying, and that settles it once and for all. They fully expect that next week Rabbi so-and-so is going to say the same thing to them. Mm-hmm. And they find the Spirit of God and the relationship with God in the conversation and not in the conclusion, which mm-hmm. I think is another thing we've bought into. Yeah. Man, there's so much there, in- including including maybe, um, you know, the book of Acts gives us this unfolding narrative of how the Spirit does lead the apostles into all truth. I mean, it's the first I don't know, 15 chapters of Acts. Um, and it's not the way that modern evangelicals are comfortable with. Yeah, it's we messing. Don't want, we don't want visions and trances and <laughs> random, you know, experience, right? Yeah. You can't trust your experience, right? Peter, go back to the scriptures, buddy. Don't take, <laughs> just because you like Cornelius doesn't mean he's not a filthy, rotten, dirty Gentile. So like, even even the way that, like the story of Acts unfolds, I think rubs up against the things we've inherited, Jared, that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if we just want to like get crass about it, since you, you opened the crass door, I'm going to walk through it. Like it's not biblical right, to not, to not say the Spirit's going to lead us into all truth because we see it happening in the Bible. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, gosh. Well, let's take this, let's take love then and put it to work for us. We're in a contentious time in our country. You know, people are losing their biscuit right and left. You can't you can't say the word racism and not get people cranked up. You can't say you can't talk about uh the presidential election. I mean, you we're at a pl- we're in a place right now, Jared. Uh, I don't know if you live in America or not, but uh, we do. No, you do. Um, we're in a place right now where there's people who have the same doctrinal statements, sit in the same churches, and look at uh, the president of the United States and see the Antichrist or God's gift to save America. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe r- rather than uh, uh, giving us certitude about whether or not he is the Antichrist or not, how do we navigate these conversations what are some what are some competencies postures practices that we need to to have difficult conversations rooted and grounded in love yeah i mean i think that's a it's a huge question and there are some tips and tricks i think we can talk about but i think the deeper work is understanding our own emotionality around these things I think that's a key component of that. Have we done the work to dig and say, why is it that when someone says to me, Trump is the Antichrist, I get enraged? Let's talk about why that is. What are my, and I'm going to make an assumption here, what are my fears? What are my concerns? What are my beliefs? There's a whole narrative underneath that. And I think that's doing that. It's easy to point the finger and say, well, it's because they said this inflammatory thing. But you know what? If they said that to someone else, that other person's probably not going to react the same way. So what is it about me that's causing that reaction? Um, so I think that's a, an important. That's that's a long, a lifelong work yeah. um, that we can work. Yeah, we can work toward. Jared, you're you're talking about having a kairos, being self-aware enough to notice what's happening to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's like a. Honestly, I think it's like Humanity 101. I think it's like a—it's not necessarily a Christian thing. Right. Right? But it's like it's like the bedrock or, or base level foundation of what it means to have like a healthy emotional life. Mm-hmm. 
And it's just lacking in so many of us, right? And like yeah, you're saying, and, it's a lifelong thing to learn. And and for me, the experience, I, I've, over time, it's taken me a long time. But I think every potentially contentious conversation I now go into excited about the opportunity to learn about myself and grow as a human being. Every Everyone. It, it's about, it's. it sounds selfish to say this, but it's about me. It's about okay, I, am I going to go through this? And at the end of this, am I going to be proud of how I represented Christ? Am I going to be proud of the growth and maturity that I displayed? Or am I not going to be? That has nothing to do with what the other person says or does or any of that. And I think that's been a really helpful practice for me. Man, I hear yeah. two things in that. Ben, what do you hear in that that you want to name? Yeah, I, I mean, I hear um, there's, there, there's this abandoning. We come back to Willard a lot, at least. Uh, he's he's like this voice in my head um, <laughs> constantly, but you know he he talks about abandoning outcomes, um, and and saying like it, it the the outcome is not your responsibility. So like did you win them over? Not your responsibility. You know did you did what you wanted to have happen get done in this situation? Not your responsibility. And the the other thing that Willard said was uh, the gift that God gets out of your life or the gift. I can't remember how this goes. Basically, your life is the gift you get to give to God. It's nothing you accomplish. It's your character. It's who you become. That's what it is. Who you become is the gift that you have for God. Um, and so I, that, that's what I hear in what you're saying, that there's such a, it's, it's a radical shift to realize, you know what? The outcome of this, there's nothing at stake ultimately. Like what, what's more important for me to focus on is, is the person that I am becoming. And I'm, am I representing Christ well? Uh, in this situation, in my character, not just, you know, whether or not the thing that I think needs to get done gets done. Yeah. I'm going to pipe in for just a second. I've been quiet and I've loved this whole conversation. It's been beautiful. Christy Penley. Hang on a second, Christy. I just want to introduce you to our our listeners. Christy Penley is (laughs) uh, a good friend of ours. She is um, a children's, no, family pastor. And has been listening in today because uh, she's super interested in this book. And so, Christy, go for it. What do you got? Yeah. Well, what I hear you saying, Jared, is when you go into a conversation, you go in with nothing to prove and nothing to earn in the sense of from that person, Mm. except for to listen, to dig in, to, Mm. to hear, and ultimately to love, right? I mean... And it blows my mind when I go into a conversation with somebody else and that's my mindset that Mm. we do then really do represent Jesus. And um, just the other day I was at the hairdresser (laughs) and getting my hair cut and the lady who was cutting my hair was asking me some questions politically, racially, all that's going on, right? And she was basically questioning Christians, like how come Christians don't love well? And... um, and it's really the premise of your book. It was coming out in my conversation with her. And at the end of the conversation, she said, well, I really like your Jesus, Christy. Mm. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. And like, that's a little bit like, Ooh, I don't, you know, like, what does she mean by that? What she meant by that was, I think, of, I'm not going to go into the details of this theology and that theology. And like, we're not going to have an argument about it. I just want to show you that Jesus loves you and I love you and, and I want to meet you there. Um, and it, it, it opened doors. I mean, she's like, I can't wait for the next time you come. And I'm like, oh, I want to live my life like that, right? I mean, that's how I want to live. Every conversation, nothing to prove and nothing to earn. 
and just showing Jesus. Mm. Yeah, well said. Yeah, that's beautiful, Christy. Um, yeah, so you're not controlling somebody what they think. You're listening and learning from them. It's huge. And and there's not an idol of, um, like, you, you talk in the book about making an idol out of being right. And we kind of, we worship it by, uh, we know what we worship by noticing what, what do we fear and what compels and moves us, right? And if we fear being wrong or if, if we fear having to say I'm sorry, you know, if we fear somebody saying, hey, Christians don't love well and they know I'm a Christian, right? Then then we've, you know, we're, we're, we're just, we're done because we made an idol of it. Um, okay, so, so we're self-aware. Mm-hmm. We're noticing our reaction. We're in a conversation with somebody who, is saying things we totally disagree with, mm-hmm. right? Or they're doing things we totally disagree with. And we've got in our heads, hate the sin, love the sinner. And we got in our I heads. I don't have that in my head. I'm just saying, Jared, <laughs> we carry around this stuff. Oh, right? yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I'm just saying, I mean, you talk about it in your book a bit. We uh, speak the truth in love, and we know when we've tried to do that in the past, it just blows up. Mm. It's like a big, it just, it's, it doesn't work. It doesn't work well. So, what do I do then? I'm aware. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, I, I'm not going to try to convince this person to hate the thing I hate. <laughs> You're right. Yep. What What do I What do I do? Well, I talk about this some in the book, but I think the most powerful thing for me in the last five years is learning how important a good question is. And that's then that's my primary tool that I pull out of the toolkit is questions. Yeah. And, and it's not gotcha questions, it's not passive-aggressive questions, it's not leading questions. It, it comes with it a genuine curiosity to understand what you believe and why you believe it. And if I can be genuinely interested in you, and I can go down that path and not say, yeah, yeah, I know all the talking points, I know what you're going to say, and just listen for a while. That's making those deposits so that whenever I say, well, have you considered this? Now it's going to be a withdrawal, it might be a little, uh, but I've, I've done the work. I've listened to them. I've valued them. I've, I've invited them to share with me. I want to sit and learn from you. Now, whenever I say, now, do you mind if, if I say a few things? They're much more willing to listen to me if I've done the listening first. And so I think that's yeah. the mature, responsible thing as an adult is to do the listening first. Yeah. Yeah. Christy, do you hear this? The. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like Jesus who asked tons of questions, right? And um, you know, uh, growing up maybe in our family systems of passive aggressive or codependency, sometimes we just project that right on Jesus. Mm-hmm. We're like, you know, this guy's giving people guilt trips right and left, but maybe his questions are sincere. <laughs> you know, maybe right. when he asked Peter, "Why did you doubt?" he wasn't shaking a finger at him; he was actually inviting Peter to be curious. Mm-hmm. Jared, this has been really, really fun for us. Yeah, um, it's such a great book. Uh, one of the things that struck me as I read this is the final question, and this is completely out of left field. But you have so many <laughs> great stinking quotes in this book. Did you come up with all those, or do you have like the world's best editor? I just gotta know. Wh- like, oh, just turns of phrases and things. Yeah, just quotes from people. Like, man, oh, those... yeah, no, I tend to oh, think in yeah. in quotes from people. Yeah, I have kind of these anchor quotes. Yeah. Oh man, they're so good, and some of them I haven't heard, I hadn't heard before, like some Kierkegaard quotes and others that were just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, it's worth 
the purchase for the quotes alone. Uh, the That's book, good. Again, that, what I hear you saying is buy the book, not for Jared's words, but for all the other yeah, people's words that he puts in the book. Thank you. Curated. Yeah. yeah. Good. Well, hopefully, um, hopefully you've experienced uh, that as love, Jared. Just trying to speak some truth. Jared, That's good. Love. You've been making deposits for forty minutes. I'll, I'll allow it. Forty minutes is enough, right? Uh, the book is "Love Matters More: How Fighting to Be Right Keeps Us from Loving Like Jesus." Uh, Jared Bias, how can people connect with you um, outside this podcast? Maybe uh, plug your pluggables. Yeah. Well, it, the book, you know, just order that wherever you order books, or you can go to lovemattersmorebook.com. And then I'm on all the social media stuff. I like to interact with people there. Um, if you want to connect with all the stuff we're doing on the podcast, you can just go to the thebibleformnormalpeople.com as well. Yeah. All right, Jared. Thank Thanks you so much. Increase. Peace. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.